Last episode, we briefly touched on the idea of top-down versus bottom-up ideas and change, as well as the need to correct global apathy. Today, we're going to lighten up the mood and expand on the idea of top-down and bottom-up. In the coming episodes, we'll also explore on how to combat this global apathy using a business strategy that already exists. Also, as mentioned in episode 18, we sometimes sacrifice accuracy for simplicity when explaining certain concepts for ease of understanding. And some of our use of terms in this episode will be no exception. This is a crash course in the challenges of sustainability, so we appreciate our listeners keeping that in mind. Whenever a group of people come together, even if it's just a small town or village, there are inevitably some things that the entire community uses. Roads, for one. And if everyone agrees that they rely on the use of roads, even if it's just to bring in products like food, then everyone typically agrees to pay a small portion to the maintenance and construction of the roads. Yep, we're talking about taxes. Taxes have been around for thousands of years and even existed in ancient civilizations like Mesopotamia and Egypt. Basically, where there is civilization, there are taxes. We may not always agree on how these are collected, or what percentage is collected, and from whom, but it would be hard to argue that some amount of taxes are necessary in a civilization. There are always things that need to be collectively paid for. Most nations on Earth operate on a principle of balance between governments and businesses. The biggest difference from country to country is where they determine the correct balance to be for their country. This is a mutually beneficial trade-off. Businesses employ a country's citizens, pay taxes, and contribute a significant amount to the wealth of a nation, oftentimes measured in gross domestic product, or GDP. In return, governments offer businesses things like a stable economic climate, infrastructure that the businesses requires, like roads, sewers, and waste disposal, and emergency services, like police and firefighters. For the most part, the majority of markets on our planet are free markets. This means the market is free to determine things like prices, supply and demand, and all that jazz. The governments, for the most part, will only get heavily involved when laws are broken or to ensure competition, i.e. antitrust laws that are in place to prevent monopolies. Disputes take place when one of these two entities, either business or government, feels one is overstepping their boundaries or one is not contributing enough. As a species, we've decided free markets are the best markets, as they allow for maximization of individual ingenuity and problem solving, as stated last episode. This has a lot of advantages, but like everything else, it also comes with disadvantages. As with most systems, it is certainly not immune to abuse or corruption. And one major disadvantage is that it doesn't always accurately display the true cost of the products we purchase. Because many of the services we use or the products we buy are not sourced from sustainable practices. And yes, we agree, we are all far too busy to ensure every single thing we buy is safe for us, our societies, and our environments. Hence episode 12, when we explored the ethical and legal implications of business practices like greenwashing. I'll tell you what we're not too busy for though, our intro. 
Welcome to Viable Underdogs, where we try and teach you cool things and hopefully encourage everyone to become a bit more sustainable. My name is John. The absolute best Carlos is with me as well. This is episode 26, twice as lucky as episode 13. Today, we're exploring the management concept of top-down versus bottom-up change and management style. By exploring these options, we can then decide which option is better for dealing with the individual challenges of sustainability. Some are better addressed from the top down, while others may benefit more from bottom up. To better explain, here's another one of our terrible analogies. Let's say we have two guys. Let's name them Carlos and John. And they want to start a bottled water business. On March 14th, Carlos discovered an untapped underwater aquifer underneath a small city they live in, and they decide to start the company by bottling this water. John suggests naming the company CJ after their first names, but Carlos gets a tad greedier since he discovered the aquifer and insists he is the best, and thus, BJ's water was born. Within the first few years, business is booming and Carlos likes to brag it has 100% to do with the witty company slogan he came up with, you'll never be more orally satisfied. John claims it was the bright idea of charging a premium price for a resource they acquire very cheap. Pumping the water out of the underground aquifer is rather inexpensive, and the plastic bottles are equally inexpensive due to the crazy good terms they negotiated with their supplier, who has a rather strange business name. The bottle supplier, sometimes better than the main event, supplies the water bottle at a fraction of any other competitor's price, allowing BJ's to make some pretty sweet profits. The city is also thrilled with BJ's, since it has hired many workers, residents of the city, and contributes a hefty amount in tax dollars. Overall, BJ's seems like a win-win. But after a few years, the city starts to notice a few growing concerns. The first concern is the waste starting to accumulate by the discarded water bottles. BJ's Water does like to remind the city that a fair portion of their water bottles end up at the recycling plant. This is true, though inevitably, a large amount still pools up in the landfills and the city is unsure how best to proceed. After all, the plastics don't really decompose. After a couple of years, the city decides to pay a foreign market to take this waste. The recycling is a bit of a problem too, since the plan tends to emit some pollutants and many of these plastics aren't really ideal for reuse. Currently, the recycling plant is also operating at a loss. They are losing money since their most profitable product, newspapers, are decreasing in usage since less and less people read actual newspapers these days. The last two problems is that some scientists have noticed the water tables for the town's river have started to drop dramatically. Further investigations discovered that the cause was the underground aquifers that were supplying the river have started to become rather depleted. The same aquifers BJ's water was using. And many of the water supply runs underneath the city, and since these have started to become depleted, it has weakened the foundation the city was built on and there are occasionally sinkholes occurring that are quite expensive to repair. Some analysts are saying that the true cost of these water bottles is not accounted for in the asking price, 
Since the price does not take into account the costs associated with the waste disposal, the damage being done to the river, and other issues like the sinkholes. In essence, the analysts say, the residents of the city are not paying a high enough price for BJ's water. The price of each bottle should reflect the cost everything included in the manufacturing, use, and proper disposal of the product. The aquifer does not belong to BJ's nor does the river that is starting to become damaged, and this should have been accounted for in the manufacturing process. And as for the disposal, every resident may think twice about paying for BJ's if they realize that the recent tax increase they all just received was to pay for the foreign market to accept the additional waste of these disposed water bottles. Had the true cost been shown, residents would have likely purchased less, and the problems caused by BJ's would largely be reduced. And this is the case with many products being sold in any free market. They can have hidden costs that the country, and therefore taxpayer, is expected to pay, that is not factored into the original price. Had the true cost always been reflective in the price from the start, then chances are the city's water supply would have never been that heavily damaged. Well here's an idea you've probably heard thrown around, a carbon tax which means charging the price that includes the cost of these additional factors. In other words, add a tax to the price. This has two benefits. It deters the overconsumption of an unsustainable product, and it provides the country with additional funds to address the problems caused by unsustainable practices. But here are some challenges with this solution. First, what is the financial cost of returning the water supply to its former glory? Keep in mind, just like we mentioned in episode 1, this type of thing has happened everywhere globally, and so far, there's not exactly a strategic plan to correct the foundations of cities that are literally sinking into the ground. Places like Mexico City, that have sunk over 9 meters. For perspective, that's the height of one giraffe, standing on another giraffe. You better bet giraffe that that's a whole lot of sinking. Second. Will the majority of the population agree to pay this new price? What's to stop an outside competitor from shipping in cheaper products from another town? Another town whose water supply is as of yet not in danger. Does the entire population understand what this new cost is for? Or do they just think it's yet another tax further burdening their monthly expenses? And before you answer that, ask yourself how many people, if you stop them on the street, could explain to you what a carbon tax is. Even if that number is a crazy high estimate, let's say 50%, that still means that half of the population don't even know what the heck it is. They just see another bill. One of Viable Underdog's main goals is to promote knowledge and discussion. Everyone, including governments, businesses, and the general public, needs to understand what strategies like a carbon tax involve. Then we can collectively decide if this strategy deserves future exploration, implementation, or abandonment. The smaller example in our analogy allows you to see how many factors need to be considered, and just how large in scope it can become. BJ's wasn't bad. They were just looking to turn a tidy profit. A good example of a less progressive company not adapting the People Planet Profits business model. A carbon tax is a top-down solution. This means it's a solution that comes from high up, in this case, government. 
No different than decisions that come from top management or even the CEO in a business. Now sometimes this makes sense, particularly with fairly simple solutions. Like implementing a law banning the use of lead, see episode 6, or chlorofluorocarbons, see our damaged atmosphere, with more info at the end of the episode. Get ready for it, because here's another trademarked, viable underdogs, fast and simplistic explanation. Top-down change and bottom-up change is a business concept that basically means what it says. The ideas and the execution of them come from either the top-down or the bottom-up. There are advantages and disadvantages to both. A carbon tax is an example of top-down change. You need to decide for yourself if this makes sense. But here is a quote we pulled from the textbook Management by Schermerhorn and Wright. Change programs have little chance of success without the support of those who must implement them. Any change that is driven from the top and perceived as insensitive to the needs of lower-level personnel can easily fail. Successful top-down change is led in ways that earn the support of others throughout the organization. What this means is you have to ask yourself the three questions I posed you earlier about the carbon tax and decide whether the majority would agree with this strategy. I'm trying to remain unbiased, since this is so important. But I would be lying if I said you could probably not infer how I personally feel about carbon tax. We need to examine all the evidence and then decide if decisions like these are the best solution or if there are better solutions. See episode 22. Many challenges of sustainability are a bit more complicated. And hopefully now you can decide for yourself whether many solutions to sustainability should primarily be coming from the top down, governments in this respect, or from the bottom up, everyone else. Should we run our planet the same way the best and most profitable businesses are doing it? Particularly those businesses who already adopt the triple bottom line, people, planet, profits. This means they take every business decision with the environment, ethical decision making, and profitability in mind. You tired of hearing that yet? And once again, these are things we all individually need to decide. Governments can provide powerful support networks, but it's our opinion here that governments should support ideas and strategies and not be the only source of them. We like transparency, and I fully admit that we probably subconsciously bias the way we write our shows for our listeners to draw the same conclusion. However, this style of bottom-up problem-solving is not a new idea. We're just proposing we use it to try and solve what can only be described as the most complicated problem that has ever challenged our entire species. Cheers. Thanks for listening. As always, please share and forward this podcast. The first step towards realistic sustainability is in knowledge and discussion. And this can't happen without everyone's input. Please send any questions, comments, or bottom-up solutions to viableunderdogs at gmail.com. Our intro music is composed by Mark Kronowski and the music currently playing by Jonathan Atkinson. We obtain all of the images we use from Pixabay. Make sure to check it out and share your appreciation with the artist there. That's P-I-X-A-B-A-Y dot com. 
More info on CFCs and the Montreal Protocol can be found at Canada.ca, where you can learn about a successful international effort to start phasing out substances really damaging to our atmosphere. Just input Montreal Protocol into the search bar, or just in Google. The top-down change quote was pulled from the textbook Management by John Shermerhorn Jr. and Barry Wright. Yep, the same one we used in episode 12. Hey, why read many books when few good do?